Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Keener, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Hey, Jane. You know, it's funny. I feel like we keep rehashing the same theme over and over, but it's just so interesting. Uh, the formula is someone Greek comes over to Egypt or Africa and sees that things are different and then goes back home and tells people about it. Yeah. Are you getting a sense of deja vu too? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And we're talking about Herodotus. And he is a Greek who came over about the 5th century to Egypt. And uh, he noticed something really interesting. And that was that the women were in the marketplace trading and doing all that uh, market stuff, while the men sat at home and did all the weaving. And he thought this was really odd, especially compared to how gender issues were going on in in Greece at that time. Yeah, and so he went back home, and he actually uh, told people, whether he wrote it or said it, I don't know, but apparently he mentioned that the Egyptians have reversed the ordinary practices of mankind. And that's a pretty loaded statement if you think about it. If Herodotus seemed to think that um, we were God-ordained for women to sit at home and weave and, and do the wash, and men were the ones who were supposed to go out into the marketplace and trade and barter and make the world go round with money. But what's interesting is that his observations weren't entirely accurate. And we see this all the time. Someone looks at a very small slice of life in a society and 
sort of generates opinions and thoughts about how the entire society must work. And while he propounded this notion that Egyptians must be these very forward-thinking, or to him, backward-thinking people who had an entirely different type of society that was more like a, a matriarchy than a patriarchy, was incorrect, actually. And we asked ourselves a question at How Stuff Works, and that was, were ancient Egyptians the first feminists? And our colleague Kristen Conger wrote an article by that very same title, and after reading her research and conducting a little bit on our own, we were hoping to come to you guys and tell you something really exciting about how uh, feminism was not a brand new thing back in the 20th century. The ancient Egyptians had discovered it a long time ago, and they'd already started a society by those rules and precedents, but that wasn't exactly the case. Yeah, I mean, it's true that the they were sharing sort of gender equalities that were really ahead of their time, and certain things that we're still struggling with today, they achieved back then, but uh, there's a lot of caveats to that statement. But one interesting point is uh, one expert in this field, Dr. Joanne Fletcher, talks about the duality of male and female in, in ancient Egypt, and you can see this in the gods and goddesses that they had in their religion, but also... Obviously, even political power, you can see in the list of God or list of uh, kings and pharaohs that women held the uh, position at least uh, six times, I believe it is. We all know Cleopatra, obviously, from the first century B.C., but there were also women who won each in the 22nd century B.C., as well as the 18th, 15th, the 14th, and the 12th. And I think something that these female rulers struggled with was the idea of being a powerful woman and still preserving their femininity. And we know that a couple of those rulers were forced, uh, not unlike Joan of Arc, who we discussed in an earlier podcast, to put on men's clothing or take on more masculine mannerisms in order to be assertive and respected. Yeah, this is one of the most fascinating um, female pharaohs of ancient Egypt, and her name is Hatshepsut. And she was the daughter of a king, Thutmose I, also known as Thutmosis, but I've heard it both ways. So Hatshepsut was married to her half-brother, Thutmose II, who inherited the throne. And so although she didn't have a lot of power at this time, her husband died, and she didn't have a son to take the throne. So the power went to her husband's son by another marriage. And at this time, pharaohs were very well known for having what's known as lesser or minor wives. And so he had a son by one of these wives, and he became Thutmose III. So when her husband, Hatshepsut's husband, died, Thutmose III was still a baby. And so uh, Hatshepsut decided to take over as regent in the meantime until the baby grew up. And by about the seventh year into her role as regent, she was officially crowned king. It's interesting that it took that long. Also, what's especially fascinating about this period is that she started gradually more and more wearing men's clothes, like you were saying, Candace, and she actually uh, put on a false beard, which I find the most curious of all. And there are different theories about why she did this. Perhaps, like, she had herself portrayed at least this way in the in the pictures of the records that we have. And maybe um, the significance of these pictures and their culture meant that if it was portrayed that way, then that's what she would become. She would become as powerful as a male king, which I found interesting. and But I think it should be noted that she was no man-hater by any means because she allowed her stepson, Thutmose, to share power once he got old enough. After she died, a few decades later, her stepson was still ruling. Near the end of his rule, there was a movement to destroy the remnants of Hatshepsut's rule. And there's a lot of different theories about that. One is... Um, 
that it was an act of vengeance, perhaps. But another is that because her name was actually removed from documents that said the lists of the kings, it's believed that maybe Thutmose III wanted history to remember the list of kings in order like Thutmose I, two, and three without interruption, especially female interruption. What Hatshepsut did for her stepson is actually pretty magnanimous. If you look at the history of uh, Egyptian minor wives, a.k.a. concubines, because they were known sometimes to actually off their husbands to put their sons on the throne. So there was a real power play at court mm. where women could get an upper hand just as easily by being, you know, good strategists. And if you hearken back in your memory to a podcast Jane and I did many, many months ago about the first lady of the United States, if you look at different women who sat at court with their husbands, whether they were queens or whether they held some sort of lesser power, like a, a regent or, or even a priest, and a priest was considered pretty powerful, actually, it's almost like this first lady idea where you come into power by virtue of being married to someone who's mm-hmm. the most powerful man in the country. So even and powerful women actually owed their power to a man? They okay. did. They still yeah. owed their power to a man, and they could choose to wield it in whatever way they wanted. I think that there were some women at court who took on more traditional, what we conceive of as traditional roles of being a wife and a mother. Some certainly used their wealth to leverage uh, leisure for themselves, you know, nonstop manicures <laughs> and hairstyling and, you know, tours around the grounds and their own chariots and there were others like Nefertiti who I'm really interested in who took advantage of her power alongside her husband to help him and sort of a in a Hillary Bill Billary sort of way she helped him come up with new policies for the nation different types of rules and reformed their system of government and in addition to that she took a major part in helping to execute different prisoners and when her husband died, there are some historians who suggest that she very quietly just assumed role as king or queen, really, but stepped into his shoes. Mm-hmm. And then others think that some somewhere along the marriage, she offended him somehow and he got very upset. And so he elevated a daughter to her place. But you look back at Nefertiti and especially just to look at that very famous bust of hers, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, a portrait, really, in, in three dimensions, and we see that she has a very serene look on her face. And I guess that's how I've always imagined ancient Egyptian women, with the coal-lined eyes and the very elaborate, you know, hairstyles and just being a part of society, but not really being leaders. But that wasn't the case unless you're from a lower class. Yeah, we should make that uh, distinction that even though there was a very remarkable forward-thinking equality of the genders at this time, there wasn't the same thing when it came to class. Upper-class women had a, a lot more power than lower-class women. They did. And most women in Egyptian society enjoyed some type of freedom, or what we would think of as freedom. I think that even if you are poor, there was still some sort of choice in what vocation you had. You could choose to be a farmer, you could choose to be a weaver, a servant, or even a construction worker. And if you were very, very poor, you could be an entertainer at court, and whether you danced or you played some sort of instrument, the king even occasionally recognized these people as important to his kingdom, Mm -hmm. and would allow them to participate in different governmental events or uh, state ceremonies. And so they played an important role too. But what our, you know, our Greek friend may have been referring to 
as far as the progressiveness of Egyptian society was the legal system. Because even if women in ancient Egypt were considered wives and mothers first and foremost, they had some pretty interesting legal rights. Yeah, they could own their own property, interestingly. Uh, they could make wills, like uh, deciding who, which of their children would um, receive what of their wealth. Uh, in court, they could represent themselves. They could sue people. Uh, they could also get divorces. And divorce, I think, is an interesting case because it brings up the idea of marriage and the legal idea of marriage in, in ancient Egypt, which is curious because when you got married, you didn't necessarily need to get the courts involved. The law wasn't involved at all. You could just have a party, you know, and uh, celebrate the fact that you're getting married. But divorce was certainly a legal issue. It says there was a similar rule, I think, if I remember from my research on the Code of Hammurabi, about uh, women could get actually some of their di- dowry back and property as well in a divorce. And the same thing happened in ancient Egypt. And one point that I find really funny is that a manual dating back to about the 25th century BC, I think, uh, advised men to not take women to court. And I'm not quite sure whether this had to do because it was indelicate to do so or because women were really good when they represented themselves in court. I don't know. I'm going to get what they were really good when they (laughs) represented themselves in court. So as Jane mentioned, marriage wasn't even really regarded as an institution. It wasn't ordained by the church. It wasn't ordained by government. But If you did not have a lot of money, it was pretty necessary because if you were pretty poor, you needed to get married to have a lot of children to help with all the different, you know, types of of labor and chores that you had to carry out in order to really succeed and pull ahead in the society. And like Jane was saying, as far as women leaving a marriage, it was pretty easy and you could take your money with you. And it seems like they looked at a marriage and a union between a man and woman as a pretty casual thing because premarital sex wasn't even frowned upon. I found that really interesting. I had no idea. I'd like to know more about more civilizations that that had the same kind of rules about premarital sex. I guess it would have to do with the fact that if marriage was a social pact and it didn't have any reference back to the church or back to religion, mm-hmm. I mean, who is there to condemn it? Yeah. I don't know. One interesting role that a woman could choose, uh, didn't have to go into marriage, they could also enter the priesthood, interestingly. They could become... Uh, God's wife is sort of, uh, this offered women a lot of political power, interestingly. But I think she had to have a little bit of money to accomplish that. The same way she could be on a jury, but she had to have a little bit of money to do that too. Yeah, and speaking of religion, we were talking about Nefertiti earlier. Uh, One major thing that she did was that she and her husband were monotheists. And this was really unusual at the time. Um, the culture was in general worshipping many gods. Nefertiti and her husband, uh, Akhenaten, uh, worship the sun god alone. And they actually outlawed worship of other gods, of polytheism. And it's believed that Nefertiti herself was the driving force behind this uh, this rule, and it actually caused, like, gave her a lot of enemies, let's say. She took this idea very, very seriously, and she worshipped him with great fervor. And then we see a little bit later on, Cleopatra was really the last great guess, matriarch of ancient Egypt before the tides turned and ancient Egypt became the very, very early stages of of modern Egypt, what it is today, as we see Egyptian culture sort of um, ebbing and more Christian culture coming in. And up until a certain time in ancient Egypt, much of the population was illiterate. 
And I think maybe only 2% of Egyptian society could actually read and write. And an even smaller fraction of that were women who could read and write. But when Cleopatra came along, she was very interested in making sure that women were educated and that the people of Egypt had a role to play in intellectual circles. And so her reign marked the emergence of the great library at Alexandria. And so... As that became more of a part of Egyptian culture, women, I think, found new careers for themselves as philosophers or scribes or or learned people or academics at the very least. And then when Christian monks came in, I think in 4, 415 AD, they actually killed a woman who they saw philosophizing and writing, and hmm. that was the end of that. So That's interesting. Yeah, and so, you know, to wrap it all up, they, the ancient Egyptians can't be really said to be feminist. Like they didn't have marches for women's votes and stuff like that. There's nothing that's exactly analogous to what we think is feminism today. But at the same time, historians note that women were actually paid the same amount. Like, uh, uh, the, for the same job, women would get the same amount of, mon- uh, of uh, wages as a man. And that's something that historians note, like, we're still struggling with today. So in that, in that sense, you know, even though, uh, ancient Egypt was a very patriarchal society, uh, it was really curious and ahead of its time in terms of, uh, gender issues. And if you want to learn even more about ancient Egyptian society, be sure to check out this article and others pertaining to the pharaohs and Cleopatra, etc. on HowStuffWorks.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out our blog, Stuff You Missed in History Class. Candace and I write on uh, once a day. And in the interim, be sure to keep sending us emails at HistoryPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at USPS.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable.